everybody. This is David Perkins. You're listening to the Desperation Podcast. Join us this summer for the Desperation Conference at New Life Church in Colorado Springs, July 9th through 11th. For more information and resources, go to desperationonline.com. All right, everybody say picture perfect. Picture perfect. Hey, DSM, we started this series a few weeks ago now, and we just kind of started this dialogue. We started this conversation about families and We even did a survey. Many of you participated in that. We collected statistics. We did lots of research with data and analysis and finding out kind of what's going on in the families of of DSM, what your home lives look like. We know that so many times we come here on a Wednesday night and everything's great, but some of us go home to disaster or some of us go home to a very fake family or some of us go home to great families except for that one relative or your sibling or your parents. So so, it, so tonight we're continuing this series and we're doing something a little bit different tonight um, than afterwards we'll ha- be having our country fair, but, but yeah, very exciting. But tonight we have the high, high privilege and the honor of hearing from two of the amazing pastors here at New Life Church. They actually spearhead our incredible internship, Desperation Leadership Academy. I've invited them in tonight, and they're basically just going to do a tag team message talking about families. And so don't check out, because if you think your family's perfect, you got another thing. Because the, the bottom line in this whole series is there's no perfect family. And God made no mistakes in putting us in our respective families. And so I want you to lean in. I want you to listen tonight. But as they come, I just want you guys to welcome us so much. Please welcome Pastor Dan and Pastor Amy Perkins of Desperation Leadership Academy. Come on, y'all. Give it up for them. All right. Well, y'all look good tonight. Look real good. Make me feel nice and at home. Grew up in Oklahoma. If you're real country, when I say boomer, you say sooner boomer. Oh, boo. oh come on, boomer. Hook That's em. right. Good. Well, hey, thank, no, oh, this, yes, no, no perfect family. No perfect family. <laughs> hey, thank you guys so much for letting us come and hang out with you tonight. Uh, it is truly our honor to be with you. Do you know, do you know that you have one of, I actually believe, the best youth pastor in the country. Uh, so Pastor Brandon and Octavia are incredible leaders, and so you are so blessed to have them as your pastors. And we are blessed to have them uh, on the team and as friends, and so uh, it's such an honor for us to be here tonight. So it's fun for us as we, uh, one, this is fun for us to get to do this and kind of tag team a little bit, uh, tag team preach, something that we've wanted to do for a long time, and so this is a, a lot of fun for us tonight. But even as we are talking about family, it's fun because we are in the process of creating our own little family. And so, uh, yeah. So we are six months away from uh, having a baby. Amy right now is growing a human being. And, uh, and it's really weird. So anyway, but... So picture perfect, right? We're talking about families, and, and uh, we want to share a little bit to start with of our own families, because 
Uh, even as Pastor Brandon was saying, it's so easy to look at other people's families and to seem like sometimes it's really easy for us to see the fault in our families. It's really easy for us to see the difficult things that we go through with our families. And we look at our friends maybe, or we look at other people, or we, we see shows on TV and we think, oh, if my family was just like that, or oh, they, they have it all together. But really, it's so true that there is no such thing as a perfect family. There's no such thing as a family that has it all together. Uh, even, even when we look at the Bible, we see stories throughout Scripture uh, of families and that they're, they're, they're all kinds of different families. You know, Moses was adopted, right? Like, so Moses grew up with adopted parents. Uh, you, you got Job. Uh, Job was going, you know, Job is this righteous man, blameless. Uh, and then there's this whole story about his wife mocking him publicly. That has to cause some interesting dynamics within the family, right? Uh, I mean, you got so many stories uh, in, in the family. Uh, you got David, right? So King David, we know King David. But think of even as he began, some of the earliest story we have of David is when the, when the prophet Samuel came to anoint the next king and David's dad brought out all his brothers and he left David with the sheep. That has to cause some serious sibling rivalry and insecurity. When you're, da- when you're like, Dad, you brought all my brothers and you didn't even think to bring me? Uh, and so, I mean, we see there's lots of family dynamics. Do you know that Jesus, Jesus had an adopted dad? Jesus had stepbrothers and sisters, right? And so we just, I mean, just saying, even in the Bible, we see, and there's so many more, that, but there's no such thing as a perfect family. There's actually no such thing as a normal family. Do you know that there is no such thing as a normal family? So tonight, we want to talk to those of you that have very unique families. And if you're in a family, you know that that is you. We all have unique families. Um, and so for me, uh, I, I, my family growing up, my dad was a pastor. And uh, my parents loved the Lord and loved each other. My, my siblings, I have one brother, you know David, and, and my two sisters, Dana and Deborah, they're triplets. Right? Right there, that's unique. People always ask me, Dan, what is it like having triplet brothers and sisters? And I tell them, normal. I don't, what's it like not? You're so weird. You know, like, and so, uh, but it, th- our family had some unique dynamics. Every family has different things, right? Like we had some, uh, we had interesting rules in our family. You know, like different families have different rules. And uh, so, like, I couldn't go to movies growing up, like, to a movie theater. I could watch movies at home, but I couldn't go to movies. Uh, And so, uh, I don't know why. That was just our family rule. I remember one time, my friends asked me to go to a movie. Uh, It was was called The Brady Bunch, right? Edgy stuff. Edgy stuff. And uh, so I went and I asked my parents. I was probably 14, 15 years old. And I was like, please, can I go see this movie in the theater? And we went and we had a conversation. And the conversation... Uh, was about, was this the best use of my time? Was this the best use of their money? And, uh, and so that conversation lasted until the movie was over. We were still talking, and I was like, Mom, Dad, I don't care. The movie's over. I get it. I can't go. You know? But we had some weird rules, other weird dynamics, you know, just being a pastor's kid. Well, this isn't, has nothing to do with being a pastor's kid. My, uh, I remember one time, my, my parents just weird. Like, sometimes we got weird things about families. Uh, my friends and I were spending the night somewhere, and we... Thought it'd be fun to go and toilet paper someone's house. Anybody ever do that? Nope. Okay. And, uh, and so I knew that we had like huge rolls of toilet paper like at my house. And we, I was like, let's sneak into my house. Never a good idea. Let's sneak into my house to steal our toilet paper so that we can go toilet paper these people's house. And, uh, and so we, we did. Uh, we never quite made it out. As my dad came out and he had a conversation with us. And uh, this is just his way. He had this conversation, and we were sitting in the living room, and he sat down on the uh, fireplace, and he talked to us. We were right here, and he sat down, and he talked to us. Another excessively long conversation. It, at one o'clock in the morning, mind you, 
He is wearing only his briefs while having this conversation. Only underwear. I'm like, Dad, this is so... I think that was my punishment, actually. And, and it's actually... I, I, as we have kids, it's genius. Whenever they're in trouble, I'm going to have my special underwear that I put on just to go lecture them in front of their friends. It's, gonna, it's genius because I was so embarrassed. But seriously, for, for me, growing up in a pastor's family, the, the difficult, unique thing, the struggle that I went through was uh, the, the struggle of having pressure. Uh, and feeling the pressure to perform, and, and feeling like, man, what is it, if, if I mess up, then it, it says something bad about me, but it also reflects on my family, and i got to be perfect, and just this pressure. I have incredible brother and two sisters, and they're my heroes. My parents are my heroes. I love them. I want to I honor them, but, but, but man, that kind of just put this like pressure on me, and I remember having a conversation with my mom. I was 14 years old, and I wanted to get my ears pierced, and we had the conversation of, well, if the pastor's kid gets their ears pierced, what does that mean for the rest of the parents in the church when their kids come and ask them if they can get their and, and I just, I had this pressure, right? I had to, the way I lived, it, it just, it, people were watching and, and I felt like I had to be perfect. And, and so that caused me to begin to compare. And I looked at my brother and my sisters and even when they, even as we became adults and I was like, man, my sisters are writing books and my brother's traveling, preaching and am I good enough? And, and, I, and, and, and am, am I living up to what I'm supposed to as a Perkins? And, and it just caused this comparison thing to, to get in me. And it was just the enemy's way of trying to come and attack me in my unique family situation. And so I say that because I had, I, I, I love my family. We had, a, we had really a great family. And yet even in that, the enemy wants to come and attack us. And he wants to, there are things, there are difficulties that we have to face and we need to choose. Even when we feel like, man, I love my family. Things are, seem good. Even still, we're going to have difficulties that we have to overcome. And so again, for me, it was this pressure of performance as a pastor's son. So I think for me, I have a little bit of a different story where Dan had uh, amazing godly parents who loved each other and loved them, uh, but felt the pressure of being a pastor's kid. Uh, I grew up in a broken home. My parents uh, got divorced twice. Um, I, in my teenage years, when I was actually uh, 13 years old, Crisis hit my family where my sister, who was only two years older than me, was sexually assaulted. And what that did to my family was it threw my stepdad into drugs and alcohol to deal with the pain. And my, you know, my strong, passionate mom having to decide what to do to take care of her family. So my parents got a divorce again, and we found ourselves having to pack up our bags and moving to the poor side of town because my mom has now become a single mom of two teenage daughters. And so in that, my struggle has been bearing the shame of a sister who is now running to men to find validation, of a strong single mom who's now having to take care of her two daughters and kind of the stereotype of a strong female woman. And who am I now going to become because of that? And so I was embarrassed by my family because not necessarily they weren't my decisions, but because of their decisions and that I had no control, no control over that, but feeling and bearing the shame of it and that though they weren't my decisions, but I now wasn't good enough. 
I now wore a scarlet letter with my friends whose families were wealthy and got the car on their 16-year-old birthday. And that was not me. Um, Because it seemed like, of course, all my friends were perfect, but I wasn't. And so, so I think tonight there are, you guys are all over the spectrum regarding your stories. But what we're here tonight is just to talk about the reality of no matter what circumstance you find yourself in, you have a responsibility in how you're going to respond despite it. So we can't control the families that we were born into. Uh, they didn't choose you. We don't choose them. Uh, and we can't even control the situation that we find ourselves in today all the time. Um, and even as Pastor Brandon was sharing just at the very beginning, this where, where we are at, God doesn't make mistakes, and he has us there. But how do we respond? So I want to look tonight real quick uh, at the life of Joseph. And uh, as we look to as young men and young women that are following the Lord, that, that are, you know, we're here on a Wednesday night wanting to worship Jesus and talk about Jesus, you know, how can we... Do we look the same at home as we do here? And what is our responsibility? Because we can't control our outward circumstances. But we are actually in charge. We're actually supposed to control. And we're supposed to be able to dictate and choose how we respond. Galatians 6 says that we're supposed to not compare but to actually look at what we can do and own up to our own actions. And so tonight we want to talk about, okay, let's see. We just both shared our story and we have very, we came from very different families. Uh, so I know that each one of you come from a very different family as well. And so some you may relate to pieces of our story, but there's unique pieces to your story that's different. And so, but I want to, I want to look at, okay, what are the, some of the things that we can do to be godly young men and women, to be godly sons and daughters, to godly, to be godly brothers and sisters in our families. So when we look at the life of Joseph, I think he's a great character to see because he was born into a family and he, he had, he's a great picture of what it's both to be a son and a brother. And so Joseph, just real quick, I want to tell the story of Genesis uh, 37. You don't need to turn there because I'm going to talk about 23 chapters in the next five minutes. So uh, you don't need to follow along. But Joseph, many of you probably know the story, but Joseph is born into a family. is is like 12 brothers, big old family. Uh, and, uh, and so he, he's actually his dad's favorite. And Jacob is his father, Israel, and he's actually his father's favorite. And uh, some of us know what that's like. Uh, you know, I don't know about you. I know, listen, I know that I am my mother's favorite. Anybody else? Know? No, you don't have to answer. But, you know, some of us know what that's like. And Joseph was his, his father's favorite. And so he, he kind of probably strutted around a little bit. He was 17 years old. He knew his dad loved him the most. His dad gave him, he hooked him up with a sweet coat with lots of colors that would have been great for the glow games, you know. And so he was just like rocking it and... And uh, then all of a sudden he started having these dreams and in his dreams, his brothers were like bowing down to him and his brothers were working for him and serving him. And so he starts telling, he's like sitting at dinner and he's like, boys, guess what? One day you're all going to bow down to me. (laughs) I'm dad's favorite and you're all going to work for me. That didn't go over very well. They didn't really like that. And uh, so this interesting that they... uh, Their brothers go out and, uh, and, and Joseph's dad is like, hey, would you take them some food? And so Joseph goes out to take his brother's food, and uh, they see him from afar because his coat is glowing. And, uh, and so they're like, hey, here comes Joseph, that jerk. 
man, he just thinks he's better than all of us. What should we do? And I don't know how they got from point A to point B, but somehow they saw him in the distance and they thought, what should we do? Hmm, let's kill him. You know, so that was their choice. That's what they decided to do. And so now, again, maybe some of you relate. You have siblings and you're like, I get it, you know, but that's what they decided to do. And uh, so Joseph gets there and what do they do? The first thing, they pick him up and they, they take his coat off him and they throw him in a pit. So he's just hanging out in this pit and they're like, yeah, we did it. Now what? You know, and, and then he's got this older brother and his older brother's like, hey, look, I don't really want him to die. You know, I just want him to suffer. Some of you relate with that as well. And so, uh, and so he's like, listen, let's pull him out of the pit and, and uh, we'll sell him. Yeah, sure. Okay, so we'll make some money off of this. So Joseph's brothers, after attempting to kill him, now pull him out and he's like, hey, thanks, boys. And they're like, you're welcome. That'll be 50 bucks, you know? And, uh, and so they sell him into slavery. Joseph goes into a life of slavery now. He's living every day as a slave, thinking, my brothers are the reason that I am here. My brothers literally tried to kill me, and then they decided it was better off to make some money off of me. And they sold me. They sold me. Joseph knew how much he was worth to his family. There was an actual dollar amount that he knew. And then he got sold as a slave. He got sold again to Potiphar. And so he's living in Potiphar's house and Joseph, in this moment, we see him choosing to be godly. He's choosing to fear the Lord. He's choosing to do the right thing. And because of that, he's elevated. He's promoted all the way up to one of the top servants. And he's, he's working in the house now. And, and, uh, and then all of a sudden, Potiphar's wife is like, hey, Joseph's a good-looking guy. And, and she comes over and she hits on him. And he's like, this ain't no good. And, uh, and so she gets a little embarrassed by that. And she decides she doesn't like Joseph. So she tells Potiphar that Joseph tried to hit on her. And apparently, imagine that, Potiphar didn't like that. And so he said, we'll throw him in prison. Now Joseph, after being falsely accused, is sitting in prison. And he's like, my brothers threw me in a pit, sold me as a slave, and now I am sitting in prison? I'm telling you this to, let you, to, to really see that Joseph had reason to not like his brothers, right? I mean, all of us have little sibling rivalries and different things. I mean, these boys really did some damage to Joseph. He's sitting in this prison, and again, he chooses you know what, I'm going to be godly and I'm going to, I'm going to worship and I'm going to, have, I'm going to fear the Lord. And uh, some of these guys that he's with have dreams. And as they have dreams, uh, they tell the dreams. And Joseph's like, well, hey, you know, I used to have dreams and, and I feel like the Lord's given me an interpretation for that dream. So Joseph gave, gives them the interpretation and they're like, wow, that's awesome. And well, one of them, because he was like, you're going to live, you're going to die. The guy that was like, the living guy was like, sweet. The other guy was like, uh, lame. And uh, Turns out he was right. Uh, so the guy lives and he goes and, and, the, and the guy that Joseph interpreted his dream, he goes and he starts working for Pharaoh. And Joseph's like, hey, remember me. Don't forget me, right? The guy that said, yeah, remember. He doesn't. So Joseph sits in prison for an, another few years. Then as, as it continues on, Pharaoh has some dreams and he doesn't understand him. He has all these people come in to give interpretation. And finally, this guy's like, oh, Pharaoh, I know the dude. Okay, he's in prison. But he interpreted my dream. He might be able to interpret yours. So Pharaoh goes and gets Joseph. And Joseph comes before Pharaoh. Now he's spent time in a pit. Right? He, he spent time as a servant, as a slave. Because of his brothers. And then he was in a prison because of his brothers. And now he's before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh tells him his dream. And he says, well, here's what the interpretation is. There's going to be seven years of plenty. And then seven years of famine. Pharaoh says, okay. Well, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to put you in charge. So Joseph then is now, he's gone all the way from being thrown into a pit to the second in the entire nation. He can speak on behalf of Pharaoh. He's given the ring, the signet ring, so he can like sign things for Pharaoh. And, and so for seven years, he's storing up food, storing up food, storing up food. And then the famine hits. 
We're coming to the close of the story, but what happens when the famine hits is all of a sudden Joseph's family starts to starve. They're hungry. So Joseph's dad is like, hey, boys, literally, you can read this. He goes, he's like, stop looking at each other and go get some food. <laughs> you know, I don't know. They're like, oh, I'm so hungry. I'm so hungry, too. You know, I don't know. I don't know. But he says, go get some food. So his brothers travel to Egypt and they come before Joseph. And there he is. And it says that Joseph recognized them immediately. Immediately, Joseph recognized them. They didn't recognize him because they thought Joseph's dead. Then we see in the next few chapters this interaction where Joseph, uh, you can tell his heart. I mean, he, he was drawn to tears, and you could tell he, he loves his brothers, but he, I mean, it's, I, I get it. He gives them a little bit of the runaround. You know, I get it. And, uh, and so he, he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to leave one of your brothers. I think you're spies. So leave one brother, go get another brother, and uh, bring him. And so they're like, okay, we agree. And then so he has Simeon stay, and they go to get their other brother. And uh, I, don't, this is, I don't get this, but Joseph's dad is like, no, you can't go back. I've already lost Joseph. Now I've lost Simeon. We're just going to stay. He just let his son sit in prison. I don't get it. That's a weird part. I'm going to ask him about it one day. Anyway, then it says that they ran out of food. So again, he's like, well, I guess we better go back. So they come back before Joseph. And this is where we start to see Joseph's heart towards his brothers and what we can learn. Because Joseph, in this moment, had every right to have revenge on his brothers. Wouldn't you say? Like after all these years and all this suffering, his entire life, pain, because of the way his brothers treated him. And we see that in this moment, he has every right to be angry, every right to be mad, every right to take it out, every right to punish them. He's second in the kingdom. He can do whatever he wants with them. He can throw them in prison. He can do whatever he wants and he is completely justified. But he doesn't. And we see in the next few chapters some things that I think we can really take that I want us to take as young men and young women, as sons and daughters, as brothers and sisters, of how we can operate in our family in order to be like Christ and in order to actually begin to influence the temperature of our family, actually begin to influence the state of where our family is at. And the first one is real simple. The first one is honor. The first thing that we can do is honor our parents, and honor our brothers and sisters. Do you realize, okay, even in telling the story of Joseph, do you realize that Joseph's entire reason that he got where he was kind of started because he didn't honor his brothers, right? He was a little disrespectful. He had some dreams where he thought he was all that. And so he started being like, look at me, boys. I'm pretty awesome. He wasn't very honoring of his brothers. And that actually was what set up the trajectory of them not liking him. So, so even just for self-preservation, let's begin to honor our siblings. But even when we read in the scripture, uh, we have in Deuteronomy chapter 5, in Deuteronomy 5, it, it talks about us honoring our family. And, uh, and it actually says that to honor your father and mother so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Ephesians chapter 6 repeats the same verse. It says this, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Here Paul's writing and he says, look, the first command that we're ever given that has a promise is to honor our parents. And if we honor our parents, it is commanded that we will enjoy a long life on earth. We will have blessing if we honor. So I want to listen. If, I mean, if you would go home, if we would be the kind of young men and young women, if DSM is marked as a culture that honors their parents, I promise you, you will begin to see the blessing of the Lord on your life. Psalm 133 says that where brothers dwell in unity, there is commanded blessing. When we strive, when we go to try and honor our brothers and sisters, to try and honor our parents. And listen, I know Pastor Brandon talks about honor all the time. 
But when we begin to try and think, how do, can I do this in my family? You will begin to see unity. You'll begin to see blessing on your life and in your family. So some simple ways that I think that we can honor. The first one is by serving them. When Joseph's brothers come before him, the first thing he does is he falls at their feet and he washes their feet. If you would look to your family and say, how can I serve them today? How can I serve them in such a way that they may not deserve it? They may not, they may not be looking for it. They may not, it may actually be extra. Maybe it's not something that they specifically need. But is there a way that I can serve them? And even if it, doesn't, even if it goes unnoticed, that's a way to, that we honor them is by serving. We see that in Joseph's life. Another way that we can honor is with our words. This is a huge one. The, with our speech. So first we serve, but another way is with our speech. Are we speaking well of our family? Right? How do we talk about our brothers and sisters? Don't answer that. I know. You know, like, what do we say when they're not around? How, what is our tone in our voice when we, when we respond to our parents? With our speech, with our words, are we honoring of our parents? When they ask us to do something, do we say yes sarcastically? Do we, do we yell back why we're too busy? Or do we simply say, yes, yes, mom, yes, dad, I will. Are we honoring our parents with our speech? And so one of the things I want to really encourage you to do is over this next week to really start to think, okay, how am I speaking when I'm at home? How am I talking about my family? When I'm here at DSM, how do I talk about my family? Do I bash my family or do I speak life? Do I speak truth? Do I, do I, do I love them by, with my words? Do I speak, when, I, when I'm responding and having conversation with them, are my words uplifting and encouraging or are they degrading? And if we would be people... If DSM would be the kind of people that just choose, man, even when they don't deserve it, I'm going to serve them. Even when they don't see it, I'm going to serve them. And you know what? I'm going to speak well of them, and I'm going to speak well to them. Then I believe that we'll start to see the commanded blessing from the Lord on your life. I think that as when we think of our families, it's the place that we're the most comfortable. And so I know tonight you're kind of like, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, but listen, as I know that you, as DSM, are desiring to be Christ followers and lovers of Jesus. And it's one thing to stand up here and pray on a mic and pray for desperation. But Jesus isn't just looking at what you're doing externally. But he's looking at what are you doing behind the scenes with the people that you're the most comfortable with. That's the display of your heart. It really is. So what I want to ask you as we're talking tonight, that's the real picture the real picture of your passion for Jesus or your desire to follow him, that's a litmus test. You guys want a litmus test? It's like the thing in science class. It's a little piece of paper, and it's like pink, and you dip it in the acid to see how acidic it is. Okay, so, so the, the litmus test, the authenticity of your desire to follow Jesus is reflected in how are you choosing to honor your family. So second thing I, that I want to talk about tonight is some of you are like, how on earth can I honor my family? You have no idea. They don't deserve it. My, if you knew my dad and the things that he does and the things that he says, he does not deserve my honor. So I want to talk about that tonight. When you come from a family that maybe isn't deserving, maybe isn't worthy, how can I even begin to honor? Here's what it starts with. You have to choose to forgive. Mm-hmm. You have to choose to forgive. See, Joseph, from the very beginning, he had to choose 
over and over to forgive his brothers. I'm sure he also had to forgive his dad. Did he ever come looking for me? Did he ever come searching for me? What about his mom? Mom, where were you? And so, see, here's the deal. And I know this is going to be hard to hear, but there is no offense. There is no fault that is too great of your forgiveness. And I know some of you are like, no, no, no. You have no idea. You don't understand. I was sexually assaulted or sexually abused. I was abandoned. I was left behind. I was neglected. I was verbally abused, whatever the case may be. And you're standing here saying, and you're, and you're saying, no, 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 no. It's too painful. I can't let it go. But here's the truth. It's hindering you. It's not hindering them. And I can tell you that in my story, my dad, he wasn't present. He, he was pretty much absent, you know, starting in my, you know, like eight, seven, eight years old, wasn't there. And here's what happens. Okay. You guys know the story of Snow White and the witch, she comes and she gives the apple and she, Snow White. So she takes the apple because she thinks it's a good thing and she eats it. Okay. Here's what happens. It's exactly what the enemy does to us. And what it's called is he makes agreements with us regarding our offense. And he says that pain, it was too great You can't, they're not worth your forgiveness. And so what he's handing you is an apple and he's saying, hold on to that bitterness. Hold on, don't forgive them. Here's an apple. What happens is, is we take this apple and we make an agreement with the enemy. And now what happens is he has a stronghold and a foothold in our life that he can now control us. And we never even knew it happened. So here's what I want to say tonight. Forgive now. Because here's the thing. It's not going away. (laughs) You're going to either deal with it now or you're going to deal with it later. So I can tell you, you know, growing up, um, I, you know, was following Jesus. But it's not until the recent, the last two years that I realized I need to go see a professional counselor. Because I've got, I've got some issues and some struggles. And here's what it just came down to. Forgiving, 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 forgiving. Thinking through that situation and saying, with my whole being, I forgive my dad for not being around. With my whole being, I forgive my stepdad for being verbally abusive. With my whole being, Jesus, I release it to you. So there's this quote by Charles Stanley. And he says, we are to forgive so that we may enjoy God's goodness without feeling the weight of anger burning deep within our hearts. Because that's what it feels like. Unforgiveness is that weight of anger because of the pain. For forgiveness does not mean we recant the fact that what happened to us was wrong. Instead, we roll our burdens onto the Lord and allow him to carry them for us. Romans 12, 19 says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. So here's what he's asking. He's saying, give it to me. When we forgive, what we're saying is, I'm not the judge, you are. He will hold them accountable. The people who have failed you, family members that have hurt you, he is the judge and he will hold them accountable. 
But we have to choose to trust that, God, I trust that you are judge, and I'm going to surrender this to you. Let me tell you, it's worth it. It's worth it. The freedom that you will experience, it's worth it. Because here's what happens. When we have unforgiveness, leads to bitterness, then resentment, then ultimately depression. And it opens the door to sin in your own life. So I want to encourage you, you don't have to be a victim to the pain that your parents have caused you, to the pain that your siblings have caused you. The choice is up to you. The ball is in your court. But here's what's beautiful. At the end of Joseph's story, Genesis 15, verse 19 says, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. So the pain that's occurred in your life, what the enemy has tried to use to intend to harm you, God wants to use it for good. Let me tell you, I could be a victim somewhere, married to some man, have a couple of kids, living for myself, but by the grace of God, he enabled me to forgive and release my parents and to run to him, to forgive them, and now I'm able to stand before you, married to an amazing man, now going to have a beautiful family, and I'm free. I'm free. I didn't have to be a victim Because of the pain that I ran to sin, no. I said, God, I'm going to forgive and I'm going to run to you. The decision is yours. We honor. It's important we forgive. And then the third thing I I just want to hit on is for us to choose to love. And when I say choose to love, sometimes that can be uh, an interesting choice of words because... uh, we live in a culture that kind of feels like, well, aren't you, well, I can't help love. I just, I just, love is an emotion and it's a feeling. But I'm here to tell you today that love is a choice. And we can choose to love. When we talk, we define love as passion for someone's highest good. And when you begin to have a passion for your family's highest good, what you do is you begin to live in such a way that empowers them. One of the most loving things we can do is empower someone else to be the person that God created them to be. Mm. Empower them rather than detract from them. Jesus, another way Jesus talked about Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. I think one of the practical ways that we can show love for our parents is to just be obedient. And uh, that we can choose to love them even when we don't feel it by being obedient, by being submitted to them. 1 John 4, 16 says, God is love, and there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. As we begin to choose to love our siblings, as we begin to choose to love our parents, even when they've wronged us, even when they make fun of us, even when they have done something that has hurt us, we actually begin to dispel the enemy's primary tactic of getting control over us, which is fear. Because we begin to feel, when we know that we are loved, and when they know they are loved, It creates a culture of safety. And that ultimately, oftentimes, I mean, that should be the older sibling's role and the parent's role. But you know what? We can't control them. All we can control is us. And so it's our job to try and love and to choose to love. I want to take a little bit of time because I I think what Amy is hitting on is really important and 
Um, just even in her own story, just kind of some of the, the tactics that the enemy has come to use, to the lies that he has spoken. Uh, and I think that as she goes through some of these, uh, I want you guys to really, really listen. And I know that we've been talking for a while. We'll wrap up here in a second. But I think some of these are, are things that you've heard and that you've believed. And so I think that this is even a prophetic moment for some of you here tonight. So I think that, um, you know, doing the, the stats that they kind of did, you know, regarding you guys and, um, you know, kind of like half of you come from some pretty great families and half of you come from some pretty, pretty broken families. And so, you know, kind of speaking to, to half of you in here, some of, the, some of the lies that I struggled with that I just want to confront and just declare over you that those are clearly lies from the enemy and are, and are not truth. And so one of them is I'm just going to have daddy issues. I'm always just going to struggle with men in my life, whether that's you as a young man or you as a young woman. So I think that sometimes what can happen is I'm confused in my sexuality even. You know, am I attracted to men or am I attracted to women? I think some of you, it can look like authority figures. And I, because of the pain, I'm the rebellious kid. Or I'm the performer because I'm dying for that love and that attention and that affirmation. And so I'm going to try to be the straight-A student, the perfect kid, because I'm just looking for that affirmation from authority figures in my life. Or, you know, kind of the, the other daddy issues is that I'm going to run to men for my identity and approval. And here's what I want to tell you, young women, that does not have to be you. Mm-hmm. The choice is yours. And tonight, if that's been you, I absolutely believe in the authority and power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit who wants to come and say, I'm going to set you on a different trajectory than you've been on. And so if that's been you, tonight it can be the end. The scarlet letter that you've been wearing, it can be taken off tonight. So that's one line. The second one is... My parents' mistakes are my scarlet letter. I'm not going to be able to marry as godly of a man or a woman. Of, of a woman, sorry, I won't be able to marry as godly of a man or woman because they won't want the baggage that I have. Absolute lie. Do not settle. He is the great redeemer, and so I don't care. How jacked up you think your family is. Do not settle. God has someone great in store for you, whether they've got baggage or not. But don't, don't believe that I need to settle for this category of godliness because of my shame. Listen, this man right here is amazing. His family is so different than mine. But listen, he didn't hold it against me. And I am so thankful that Jesus gave me a vision that I don't have to settle. And so I'm here to tell you, don't settle. Okay, the third one is, inevitably, I'm going to get a divorce. I come from a broken family, so, you know, I've got a 50-50 chance of, of my marriage surviving. No, no, no. Renounce that tonight. It's not true. And then the fourth lie is, I can't have a healthy relationship with both sets of parents because that would be rejecting one or the other. Okay, here's the reality. 
If you have a broken phone, broken home, a broken phone, if you've got a broken home and you've got multiple sets of parents, it's hard. It just is. And as you get harder and, you know, as you get harder, oh my gosh, I like can't talk. Okay, let's just blame it on pregnancy. Okay. Um, <laughs> as you get older, you know, you're looking at, okay, vacation, you know, Christmas, vacation, holidays, you know the struggle. Who am I going to go to? And who's going to feel rejected? And who's going to feel chosen over? It's hard. It really is. But here's what I want to encourage you. Just as tonight we're saying, God is calling you to honor no matter the circumstance. He's called you to forgive no matter the circumstance. And he's called you to love no matter the circumstance. And so, yes, your life is harder, but it's your glory. It's to say, okay, I'm going to choose to love my stepmom and my stepdad and my mom and my dad and my 12 half step siblings that I have. I'm going to choose to love and honor and forgive all of them no matter what. And so no matter your circumstance, you have a higher mandate, but your reward is in heaven. (laughs) Your reward is in heaven. I want to go ahead and invite the band to come up. I think tonight, we really are talking to all of you, and I, I know that we've spoken a lot of blended families and broken homes and whatnot, but I think even in our story, my, our point is that we have different stories, but we both had to do these things. We both had to learn how to honor our family and how to forgive them and, and how to love them. And I want to pray for, we're going to go into a time of worship and, and ministry time here. And uh, one of the things even Amy talked about, one of the things that I loved about Amy when we first met is that because she had chosen to press into the Lord, she didn't have baggage she had a history, okay, like she had, her family had gone through stuff, but she didn't carry baggage. And I believe that tonight, that phrase, I just think something stands out about that phrase, you can leave your baggage behind tonight. And you don't have to carry it, you don't have to look at your family dynamics, and you don't have to look at the things that, that have, you feel have defined you. And maybe it's not even your family dynamics, maybe it's choices that you've made. Maybe it's things that you've done. And, and it actually is something that you put on yourself. But I want to encourage you tonight that I believe that there's freedom from quote-unquote baggage. Yes. And that you can walk for the rest of your days free from that. You don't have to look back with shame. You don't have to look back with embarrassment. But you can say, listen, I am a son. I am a daughter. I know who I am. I am free. And I am not defined by the circumstances around me. I am defined by who I am. And I belong to the King of kings and Lord of lords. He loves me. He is for me. He is my defender, my protector. He is writing my story. And tonight, you can be free from that. And I believe that the key thing, honestly, I think that the key thing we've talked about tonight is it starts with forgiveness. It starts with turning over people that we feel have wronged us and saying, God, I release them from my judgment and I release them to you. I trust your judgment is better than my judgment. Maybe it's forgiveness and forgiving yourself. Maybe it's forgiving yourself for things you've partaken in and things you've done, choices you've made. But tonight, if we choose to forgive, then I believe that you can walk out of those doors in freedom. And you don't have to carry baggage. You don't have to carry, you don't have to have wounds. But you can have life and joy and hope in Jesus. So I want to invite you to go ahead and stand with me. And here's what, here's what I want to do. This, I, I don't know if this is going to be hard or not. I don't really care because I, I, I care more that people leave with, with some freedom tonight. 
something with dignity. But I want to invite those of you that, whether you come from a family that you would define as great and wonderful or, or broken or however you define your own family, we're not here to judge your family. We're not here to say what your family is. We're here to say we're all part of unique, funny families. We all got stuff. We all got to work through stuff. But if tonight you know that there are people that you need to forgive or baggage that you want to leave behind and you want to walk out of those doors free from the pain that you've held onto with, with, of unforgiveness and free from the baggage you've carried, the identity you've carried because of things that have happened. And you want to be free from those things tonight. I want to invite you to go ahead and come forward. We want to pray for you. forgiving here's it starts with a choice it's a choice of your will I'm going to decide to forgive whether I feel it or not and that's gonna take multiple times I choose to forgive I choose to forgive I choose to forgive and in time the emotion will change and so I want to encourage you some of you I know that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and saying you need to forgive you need to let go and you're saying but I don't want to I don't feel it it's a choice of your will right now <laughs> so I want to encourage you Make the decision to let go whether you feel it. Because I want to ask all of you that came up front to go ahead and just close your eyes. I want you to think of that person that you know you need to forgive. Or whatever they've done, however they've wronged you. Again, family member, it could be yourself, it could be somebody else. But you know that there's unforgiveness that is just, it's just haunting you. I want you to think of them right now and I want to I want to ask that you using your words you don't have to say it loud but actually using your vocal cords forgive them to the Lord say Jesus I forgive fill in the blank for so say Jesus I forgive say their name and then say what for and actually use your words take some time to authentically say that you forgive them tonight. I just want to invite you to go and stretch out your hands. Let's, let's all of us in the room put out our hands. I'll pray for all of us. Maybe some of you didn't come forward tonight, but you know that this is some stuff that you're, you're wrestling with. Father, I pray right now for each one of us in this room. Lord, I pray that you would come and fill us right now. God, even as we have released these people, we've released saying we forgive them, taking that difficult step, I pray that you would come and fill each one of us with joy and hope and love. God, I pray for a supernatural outpouring of love tonight. God, that we would see others the way that you see them. God, I pray for a supernatural outpouring of love for ourselves, that we would be able to accept ourselves as you created us, as you know us to be. That we would see ourselves as you see us. We release this baggage that we've held on to. No longer will it define you. No longer will I be defined by my failures. No longer will I be defined by my sin. No longer will I be defined by the way I've been treated. I release that to you. Jesus, come and fill. 